and welcome to Hoof on the Till, our weekly look at all things racing. Helen Thomas and the mighty Max Preston are with you. And Max, certainly spring has sprung well and truly in 2023 with the Melbourne Cup weights being released this week. Yes. Well, Helen, uh, the focus, your focus anyway, is the Melbourne Cup. Uh, I don't think the Melbourne Cup is what it was, but then again, I may uh, put it this way, I've become a little bit cynical when it comes to Melbourne Cups and overseas horses. But look, it's, a again, an intriguing time of the year, but I'm more focused on on the action on Saturday, particularly at Rose Hill, where the, the Golden Rose, I think, is a you know, this is going to be a really great contest, not only of promising three-year-olds, how much of these youngsters improved, but the jockeys that are involved. Now, you've got um, uh, Marrera, you've got Ryan Moore. Ryan Moore regarded by many as the best jockey in the world. You've got Damien Lane, who won the race last year, who left Japan a, a month or so ago with, with rave reviews. And then, of course, you've got Nash Rewilla. Nash Rewilla, the unsung hero of last Saturday. Now, Nash rung on one on Think It Over and uh, Private Eye. No other jockey in the world would have got him home. Nash is right in top form. He's riding cylinder. And the ride, the ride will win the Golden Rose because at this stage, it looks like a very even race. The brakes at the right time will decide the outcome. And I just can't wait. Of course, you can't wait for the Melbourne Cup, but you'll be waiting a lot longer for your thrills than I will be. A few more weeks, that's true, Max. But, you know, just going on to that point about the Melbourne Cup and the weights, it's interesting that some of our biggest stables have a very big hand at this moment. I mean, Ma Eustace have 14 nominations. Uh, Chris Wallace stable has 15. Uh, Gay Waterhouse has nine. And I'm thrilled to say that our very first guest this week is none other than Gay Waterhouse, who has officially now been deemed a legend. Gay Waterhouse, good to have you on, Hoof on the Till. Lovely to be with you, Helen, and Max also. I'm thrilled to be asked. A legend, yes. Well, uh, really, legend status, um, I think it took them long enough. I reckon possibly about five years ago you could have got that rating. But looking back, the change is now partnerships. Now, you're now in partnership with Adrian Bott. And there was a time when partnerships were frowned upon, but this seems to have given Tullock Lodge a, a new lease of life. Absolutely. You know, uh, when I won the Melbourne Cup 10 years ago now, in 2013, I said to Rob, I love doing, I love training horses. I love everything about the business, but yet it's the business that's wearing me down. And I can't do all this by myself. I need someone. I didn't want to stop doing it. And Adrian had come into my life about that time and was working with me. And um, the more we worked together, uh, he sort of kept making the quantum leap. And then he said, would you ever think of selling the business? And, and I said, yes, I would. Uh, but he said, the only reason, if, if I was able to find the, the right investor, uh, you'd have to stay on. You'd have. I said, thank you. I don't want to go anywhere. <laughs> and that's how it happened. And I'm still able to be there, uh, involved with, with the training, involved with the, the programming, involved with the owners, the horses, every part of it. I just love it. Absolutely love it. Yet it's given me enough time to also have a life where I've got involvement with my grandchildren and, and other things that are in my life. So I'm able to mix it a bit, which is nice. Gay, I would say the, the new combination is, is working splendidly. I'm looking at the current situation. 
uh, the spring. You've had many great springs in the past, but I, I look at it now, and, and here you are with nine nominations for the Melbourne Cup. Strong chances, I would suggest to you. And also, you have two-year-olds barrier trial very well on Monday, but by gee, the immediate future is looking good for the stable. It really is. Well, you know, when you look at, uh, you know, in the T-Rose stakes, we had five fillies, all in the Group 2 race. Uh, at the trials the other day, Max, there were 13 trials of which, uh, uh, you know, our stable was able to win or run second in the 13 trials. So every filly or colt that went to Randwick on Monday qualified for the Jim Crack or Breeders' Plate. Unheard of. Unprecedented. It's never happened before. So Adrian is not only training well, he's come of age in a massive way and is a really exciting talent, really exciting talent in Australian racing. And, of course, at the other end of the scale, the Melbourne Cup. Now, you produced a, a, a very, very promising stayer last Saturday, just fine. Now, what's the story behind him and, and what's, what's the future hold if he, if, if he, if he holds together, of course? Well, every, it's always if they, they're like footballers or, or you know, soccer players. Um, you know, they can get leg injuries because, it's, you know, it's a, it can be often a strain injury. But on the whole, we're very mindful of horses' physiques and uh, capabilities and what they can cope with. Just Fine was sold in the Tattersall sale last year. The Tattersall sale is run at Tattersall, the new market in England. And it has produced for our stable something like about 20 Group 1 winners. It is the most remarkable ground uh, if one is searching for a stayer. Just Fine was in King Charles's stable and trained there and was put in the, the, the sale because he wasn't performing well enough. And then coming down here and with our training and the lovely warm weather, he's just developed remarkably and is really favourite in the Metropolitan in two weeks' time. Gay, a wonderful aspect of your career, which I think in some areas is overlooked, is how you've developed jockeys. How jockeys who, who, who they might be, they might be reasonably good when they come to you, but they, they, they go away so much better. Now, Adam Hieronymus, he served time for having a bet. He come back, but he's really regenerated. He's riding very well now. He's you launched him again. You gave him the opportunities, and other stables are picking up. But I can go back. We can go back before Blake Shin, Nash Rewilla. They were good jockeys before they got to you, but they're, they were they're much better jockeys after. Tim Clark. What, what do you do to them? What what sort of magic wand do you wave over them? <laughs> I'll tell you what I do, Max. I zoom in on them and I make them cope with pressure, and I train them to have speed. And the most important thing for a jockey, I don't care where they ride, if it's me uh, riding Frankie de Tori in England, uh, Jose Marrera in uh, Hong Kong, or Zach Burton in Hong Kong, or Adam Hieronymus, Nashorella, Tommy Berry, Tim Clark, uh, you know, Winona Costins, Rachel King, perfect example. They have to have that inner clock in their head. And the, it's not so much about scrubbing the horse up and getting him to run a lot. That's not at all. It is to get the horse to jump from the gate. That's essential. And then once he's in a rhythm, sustaining that rhythm. And if he can sustain that rhythm, it's very hard for the other jockeys or horses to get the match stride. So you're getting the horse to 
bowl along at a slightly faster tempo, ever so slightly faster tempo. But the anaerobic horse, it has to be there. You have to have the horse anaerobically fit and you have to have the jockey switched on. I'll tell you who's pulled up his socks hugely in the last two weeks is Regan Bailey. A Regan on that horse just fine. If that had been a couple of months before, I believe would have been big. But when he was taken on both inside and outside in that race over a distance, Regan never faltered in his time. It was quite remarkable to watch. And, of course, the horse came away and won convincingly. Gay, can I just jump in here and, and ask you, let's zoom in on Just Fine because I believe he's got more than 1,600 owners. Is that is that right? Oh, I don't know. He probably has got quite a few owners because a lot of times that they're bought with the syndicate. So we might have our own owners and then a syndicate might buy the horse and put in their multitude of owners. But it's lovely because they're all treated the same and, they, you know, if you've got 1% of a horse or 25% of a horse, you still feel you own the whole horse, don't you? Oh, for sure. And the reason I ask this is because of comments that were picked up yesterday by Joe Pride, one of the leading trainers in Sydney, who says that he feels that the Melbourne Cup or owning a horse in the Melbourne Cup has been coming increasingly out of reach for most Australian owners. The direct quote is, in the modern era of so many imported horses coming over for the Melbourne Cup, it has become a lot harder for the average Australian owner to participate in the race. They, I think he means the Victorian racing officials, have created that I think it's a shame. It's almost got to the point where you've got to buy yourself an expensive import to get into the Melbourne Cup. That's not Australian racing. How do you respond to that? Well, it's well, it's been been like that for the last quite some time. And but the, the overseas horses are almost pricing themselves out. You know, we're always trying to look for value for money for our horses all the time. Um, you know, New Zealand used to be the, 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 the nursery for staying horses, yes. but they haven't been able to compete against English and Irish horses. Uh, it's a great shame because some of the, the most exciting horses, and you only have to look at a horse called Goldman that runs on Saturday, bought from New Zealand by a syndicate, and they're having a ball. Uh, so they are available. You've you've just got to have your ear to the ground and, and just keep sourcing. Yeah, you've got a young horse going round in the Group 1 Golden Rose in Sydney on Saturday, Butch Cassidy, and also the slightly older boy going round in the Underwood, the Group 1 Underwood in Melbourne at Caulfield, of course, Alligator Blood. Where are you going to be? I'll be in Melbourne and Adrian will be in Sydney. The beauty of having a partnership. Uh Melbourne stables a lot smaller and uh, I quite enjoy it. We've got a place down there so I can sort of mooch around there and drive them all mad, but I really enjoy it. Alligator Blood is a backup horse. He ran last week, running running fourth. This will be his third run in. You know, a lot of the moon sort of align. You come up to Sydney. Butch Cassidy's been there, but not quite. But he's put in the most beautiful piece of work coming into Saturday and it's probably quite an even... And Max, it'd be interesting what you say, but I think quite an even golden rose. Yes, I've got no doubt about that, uh, Gay. And and the fact is there's so many horses with potential and it's it's how they develop and and just how good they'll be on Saturday. But um, the ride, the ride, I I think, will win. You know, you get the good ride in these competitive races and they they do win. And as you point out, your your jockeys have got that sense of timing and, Perhaps it'll work for Butch Cassidy. And, Gay, before we let you go, going into spring, what do you feel is the biggest concern that racing around Australia has at this point? I think 
like getting people to the races. You know, on these big days, of course you get them. But I think getting people back to the track, getting membership up of the clubs, getting people coming to the races and, and spending time and their money there instead of spending it betting on their phones in the office or in, in the pub or wherever, I think that's very important. I think it's very important to involve families. I think they should be very much pushing this pony racing with the children. I think if you can get the families there, it makes it a wonderful day. I don't think they should be charged. I think, except maybe on the big days, I think it should be free racing to go on the course any day. And then people will hopefully come back. People want to come racing. They want to have a day out, you know, so why make it too expensive? Gay Waterhouse, thank you so much for your time on Hoof today. Thank you so much, Helen and Max. Lovely to speak. Well, Max, one of the jockeys, one of the riders Gay just mentioned there was Tim Clark. And, of course, Tim's just about to make a return to racing on the weekend uh, on the main stage, having suffered a pretty serious fall uh, about a month ago now at Wyong. And he's with us now. Tim, good to have you on Hoof on the Till. Yeah, it's lovely to join you both. Before we go any further, one of the comments uh, Gay made when, when Max asked her what it was, what was her secret with you know, having brought so many jockeys along. And she said, I zoom in on them. Do you think that's a fair comment? Yeah, definitely. She, um, I think she takes it, she not only takes an interest in your riding for her stable, but uh, your riding as a whole. And she also, you know, also takes an interest on just sort of life in general. And, um, you know, often that when I'm, you know, talking to Gay, whether it's before or after a meeting or track work, but, you know, a lot of the time the, the conversation not necessarily is all about the horses. It'll drift off to other aspects of your life. She really genuinely wants uh, the best for you and I think it shows when you're riding um, as well. So, you know, she puts a lot of trust in you as well. Like it, it's, you know, it really is a... A great honour to you know to be one of the the riders for the Gay and Adrian now, and I ha- have been sort of doing so for for a while, and it's um, yeah I don't take that that responsibility lightly. Tim, it's the whole point with Tullock Lodge, Tullock Lodge horses, and Tullock Lodge jockeys is that get up and go, get out of the gates, get into a position, get into a rhythm. That seems to be it. How 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 does she tune you to that? Is or, or is that more the horse that she trains that they're just trained to, to go that quick early? Yeah, I think it's um, like she spends a you know a lot of time on making sure that they're out of the gates you know good you know if she sees something that's not jumping right or or just stepping a bit slow she'll she'll make a point of you know make, taking it over to the barriers and, and and teaching it and and getting that horse so that. You know, next time it goes to the races or trials or whatever, it's first out of the gates. And, you know, I think that in in general, being up on speed, you know, wins you a lot of races in general. But then you, you add the factor of, you know, how fit and tough, uh, you know, the, the bone and muscle there of Tullock Lodge. If they get a few sectionals where they can get comfortable and in a nice rhythm, it they're bloody hard to get past. Get up and go, of course, applies to alligator blood. A, a horse that you've had considerable experience with, an alligator blood is one of the top chances in the uh, the Underwood at Caulfield on Saturday. Now, um, got to run eighteen hundred meters. How do you feel he'll, he'll handle the journey? Uh, yeah, I don't think the journey will be any problem. He, he he 
he won the Underwood last year, although it was at a different track. But I feel that it was probably a, a stronger field than he's facing this weekend. Yeah, he was up against Zaki. Mwanga's there again. Mr. Brightside, I'm thunderstruck. So I feel that, you know, it's obviously a bigger field this this weekend, but whether it's got the quality that it did last year and, and he was able to, to win that, you know, you know, pretty convincingly after, you know, narrowly going down in the Maccabi. So a few runs under his belt should bring him right to his peak and he, I think he's, he's definitely the horse to beat. Tim, you've obviously got a very close and strong association with that horse, with Alligator Blood. How hard will it be? And I, I don't mean this facetiously, but, you know, mentally and emotionally, is it hard having been on the sidelines, you know, recuperating, recovering from a, a fall, and we'll get to that in a minute, but is it hard watching these horses that you know so well race and you're not on board? Yeah, it definitely is. There, there is that aspect and, um, you know, I, I don't cope with it well. I won't. I won't lie, but um, but two, you, you know, looking back at everything, and you, you've got to you know, put things into perspective. And you know, that fall I had, it could have been a whole lot worse. So, um, yeah, I'm thankful that I've sort of been able to get away with it reasonably unscathed. What we do, it's very dangerous, and you know, any any at any given time, it's um, you know, our careers could be could be cut short. So, yeah, it, you know, there's a, a, definitely a tinge of the sadness that you know, I, on this occasion, that I, you know, haven't been able to ride, ride alligator blood. Um, but as I said, I'm I'm just glad that I, I was able to sort of get out of that incident pretty well unscathed and be able to get back to the races as as quick as I am. Yeah, and I apologise if I seem to skip over it when I was introducing you on the show because there were three or four horses and riders involved in that fall at Wyong, and one of the horses had to be euthanized. Yeah, that's right. It was a it was a really nasty incident. Yeah, especially when when a horse you know, does go amiss when it's racing, you know, at the front of the field, you know, it could have brought down, you know, two or three or four more horses even. So as sad as it was, um, yeah, it could it could have been a whole lot worse. Tim, one of the other issues we've been talking about today is, of course, the release of the Melbourne Cup weights. Gay and Adrian have nine horses nominated. I'm wondering if there's one of those nine that you'd really like to ride on that first Tuesday in November. Yeah, well, obviously, um, you know, leading into the spring, you know, White Marlin was going to be the horse that I was sort of hoping to to be able to ride throughout the spring and, and into the, the Melbourne Cup. But unfortunately, he, he sort of went amiss early on. And so now it's uh, it's going to be an interesting one. It, you know, it'll be depend on how, how the horses are tracking. But, you know, maybe, maybe a horse like Goldman with 52 kilos seems pretty well in and, you know, if I had to pick one right now, maybe him. But you know that horse that um, won last weekend just fine. That you know he's going to be a, a short price favourite in the Metrop. He's just you know, he's just burst onto the scene and sort of really come out of nowhere. And you know, if he can continue on 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 that path and that trajectory, who, who knows? He he could be you know heading into the Melbourne Cup as as one of the the hot favourites. So they've got a good handle on them and and they've got a good. Uh, a good team heading towards that race, and I'm sure Gay and Gay would love to win it again, and I'm I'm sure Adrian would love to win it for the first time. Jockey Tim Clark on Hoof on the Till. Well, one of the most influential owners in Australasian racing is Terry Henderson, CEO of OTI Racing. He usually has a number of horses running week in, week out, not just nationally but internationally too. 
and he's with us now on Hoof. Terry, good to be speaking to you. Yeah, hi, Alan, likewise. Terry, uh, to business, just Melbourne racing, Victorian racing, what's happened? Uh, look, I think it starts with a structure, Max. Uh, it's uh, it's a bit of a dinosaur when we look at its structure compared to the you know, the best practice operations around the world. We've still got three metropolitan clubs with the obviously the country clubs combined and we've got Racing Victoria and they they almost trip over each other's feet in trying to get anything done down here. So in so many areas we seem to have stagnated while others, including, you know, Queensland and New South Wales have, have progressed. And uh, I think until we get our structure right, um, we're going to be faced with a an enormous challenge to you know, be best in class again, which I think we can probably say we were at one stage. Arguable, but uh, nevertheless, um, a lot better than you are now. And of course, there are so many ways that New South Wales racing is booming and your uh, your, your empire has certainly spread to here. Oh, well, it has. And uh, New South Wales is probably vying for, um, you know, having... As, well, certainly as, as many horses in the metropolitan races as we do down in Victoria. We've probably got a few more horses based in the country down here than we have in New South Wales. But, you know, having said that, uh, we've also got, you know, more horses racing in Queensland as well. Uh, I think both of those states have certainly gone ahead comparatively uh, when compared to Victoria. And naturally, as owners chasing prize money and um, lower costs generally, um, you know, we're um, we're supporting our trainers in those two states. Perry, how many horses would be under your control? In total, uh, well, it's total is probably, probably about 170 max, probably about 30 of those are breeding stock and about 30 would be based in Europe who will eventually either come here or be sold in Europe and the rest of them are here. So, you know, it's a reasonable size operation these days and um, one that hopefully provides a fair range of opportunities for the, the, the guys that support us as owners. How many guys that support you as owners would you have? Uh, probably, I, I would think, about 500 in total. During COVID, a lot of people came into ownership um, you know, relative families and uh, people who were looking for an interest during that COVID period and had the money to do it. Um, so we ended up with a lot more of the smaller owners than we'd historically had. But generally, you know, we, we had a relatively modest number of owners and um, they supported us with, you know, most of the horses that we bought. But it's, it's spread a little more now. It's incredible from my point of view, uh, Terry, how 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 many owners that are involved in racing, and I see so many people that are interested in owning a horse. It might be a hair in the tail of the horse, but so many people that are interested in owning a horse, yet you've got so few people want to go to the races. Why is that? Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? <laughs> if I had the answer to that, I think I'd <laughs> sell my services to the race clubs around the country. Look, it, it, it's um, the reason people get involved in ownership in Australia is for two reasons. Uh, one, there's, there's a very exciting thing to be involved in. And secondly, the access to entry to racing as an owner is very, very simple these days. You know, we're blessed um, with both. Uh, trainers 
who are probably bigger syndicators than than owners, uh, than syndicators and uh, and syndicators. And our syndication profile here, I think, is very good and very professional. Um, we've got a lot of good syndicators in the country. They offer a whole range of products, and I think um, you know the industry broadly is is best blessed as a result. And of course, our owners, um, many of them have got their own almost dedicated syndication company. Uh, Pete Moody uh, has one. Um, I know Chris has got a relationship with one. Um, Kieran Mars got his own people that look after the partnership side of the business. So, you know, it's pretty easy to go in and buy a horse. Now, when you compare that to America, you know, America, you know, if you if you try and race in America, you you've got to really run through the hoops. You've got to do fingerprints and all sorts of stuff to be approved as someone who can race. Whereas here, it's it's very very open. And yet, Terry, having said that, I mean, one of Australia's premier trainers, Joe Pride, has said he feels that owning a horse, you know, a runner in the Melbourne Cup, is becoming increasingly out of reach for most Australians. Do you agree with that? No, no. Uh, no more out of reach than going to the Magic Million sale and saying, a, you know, a million-dollar colt is out of reach of um, of most Australians. That's that's the way it is. There's access to uh, ownership um, for Melbourne Cup runners uh, just as easily as there is for high-priced uh, um, colts that you might want to run in the um, Golden Slipper. You know, there are a plethora of syndicators that are offering Melbourne Cup horses, and many of them have got. We've got. If you take our horse, for example, Diage Sweet Junior, I think we paid one hundred and fifty thousand for him. He won the Adelaide Cup. He ran third in the Sydney Cup. He ran sixth in the Melbourne Cup last year. You know, and he's a very, he's very modestly priced horse. Uh, there are plenty of those sort of horses still running around, and I think, you know, Joe might have looked at a couple of. Joe, who we we race with, I might say, and I've got an enormous uh, amount of time for him as a as a as a trainer and a guy. Uh, but I I think you know he, I think his comments were blown out of proportion. And it's interesting. Uh, Racing Victoria responded on Twitter by saying that you know the first three place getters in last year's Cup had each had thirty plus owners, and the third placing High Emotion cost eighty thousand New Zealand dollars, and uh, has yeah. forty eight owners. So that gives one a little bit more hope. Well, you know, I, I think it's a, a nonsense debate anyway. I think there are a time there when, and it was probably fostered a little bit by the VRC. I, I can recall someone saying, one of the head honchos there, saying that the, the greatest thing that happened to Victorian racing during the year was a Godolphin horse winning the Melbourne Cup. Well, I had a bit of a problem with that. But I don't really think that generally that's the case. I think we've we've still got access to getting horses into the Melbourne Cup. I think it's general its general status as a race isn't what it used to be. You know, there have been a lot of pressures from a variety of uh, areas uh, to diminish that, uh, including, you know, the dominance of uh, the Everest, uh, the um, impost of some of the veterinary requirements. Um, But notwithstanding that, it's still a race that's open to to everyone. And, And if you really want to be involved in the Melbourne Cup, there are ways to do it. And obviously you need a lot of luck at the end of the day to get a horse into the race. Terry, your Melbourne Cup horse um, it's running in the uh, uh, the Foundation Cup at Caulfield on Saturday. What do you expect it to do? Uh, finish in the first six, Max. 
Um, it's a it's it's a two mile horse, as uh, uh, said. His, his performances have been like the other horse we have, Salino, and I think if he runs well there, we'll we'll look at um, possibly, uh, or we'll look at the Bar Cummings, and then we'll maybe look at the Caulfield Cup uh, or the Mooney Valley Cup, um, and uh, and get the horse into the Melbourne Cup from there. So. Um, you know, he's, he's he's not likely to win a race until the Melbourne Cup, I would have thought, unless, you know, there's a red-hot pace in a race like the Bart Cummings and he gets his chance in that. But, you know, he's just a very good, honest, old-fashioned Kiwi staying type. And and having said that, um, Terry, you, you do have close ties with breeding in New Zealand and Australia. You keep an eye on, you know, what is happening in both countries. I'm wondering what you... Are starting to think now about the summer we're facing, not just in Australia, obviously, but New Zealand. I expect the sales to be uh, challenging this year um, because we've lost a lot of market as a result of people coming out of COVID and uh, the economic circumstances generally that exist in the country. I think uh, most of the breeders are preparing themselves for a sales season that is not as strong as it has been in in recent times. Funny enough, um, the European sales season started about a month ago and and their sales results have generally been pretty good. And yet we were saying the same thing a couple of months ago over there. They thought there might have been a a challenging time ahead. But, you know, the breeders are telling me that, you know, they're bracing themselves for a challenging time uh, in the sales ring. Uh, As far as the broader conditions go, um, be they weather conditions or... um, uh, basically, the general state of racing at the expense of racing horses. Look, I, I honestly wouldn't know, Helen. You know, we we seem to be a very resilient industry. You know, the last the last real downturn of any consequence, and you'll remember this, Max, was in 1990. That's how far we've got to go back. Um, but since then, we've been pretty pretty solid. So I I think um, we maybe think the glass is half full often, but find that you know, things are a lot better than we thought they may have been. And um, that speaks for the resilience of the game and the fact that people still get a hell of a lot of enjoyment out of racing horses. 